Hey everybody, happy Friday. It's it's me, it's Trevin McGee again. And uh, I'm here with Trey Hawk. Yay! Yay! Uh, we've been off for a little bit, just kind of relaxing. We needed a break. We had done out. like, what, three straight? Yeah. Something like that? We'd, four? We'd gotten on a hot streak and done like four in a row. Yeah. And it's hard. We write all of this. Every single so every, bit of it. It's all written beforehand, multiple takes. Um, yeah, Trey's a real stickler for getting it right, and so if we if we screw up and don't say an um or an uh where we're supposed to in the script, and then we've just got to go back to square one and start over again. That's how it works. The appearance of improv is just as difficult to craft, if not more difficult to craft, than improv itself. Oh, most definitely, and people can tell. You know, yeah. they can definitely tell a difference. Uh, we've got a couple of movies today. We're just going to jump right to them because um, we don't have anything else to announce. Um the first is Third Person, the latest from writer-director Paul Haggis from Crash and uh, In the Valley of Ella, and um, as a kind of name drop in an episode of Entourage fame. And um, <laughs> then I'm going to talk about The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes from director Matt Reeves, big all-star cast surprise kind of blockbuster that they uh, snuck in in the middle of July. So uh, let's get started. All right. Let's talk so, about third person. Tell me all about it. Is the so, film shot in third person? Uh, is it is it narrated in third person? I, <laughs> <laughs> what what is this third person? Are there three people in it? Yeah, no, there's way more than three oh, people. Great. So, as as a way of sort of full disclosure, I never mm-hmm. saw a Crash. Uh, it is a film that I actually actively avoided because I lucked out and a few people, I would say three or four, saw Crash. These are people whose opinions I... You don't I, immediately I, throw out? Well, it's not that I don't immediately throw out, but but I know that, that if across this spectrum of individuals, that they all kind of came together and said, this movie, do not see it. It is awful. Yeah. Um, and it is. And so so because there was sort of a unanimous contempt for this film, mm-hmm. I, I just never saw it. I just figured it was probably a waste of my time. And, yeah. and so uh, I wish the same group of people had warned me off of War Horse. But, you know, <laughs> it's like they're jerks and they don't run block for me occasionally. Yeah. Well, every um, now and then you got to take one for the team. We exactly, all have to see. Exactly. Some so, like meandering, Earth to Echo. yeah. We um, have to see some like meandering <laughs> Oscar bait that sucks. Yeah, and you know, everyone has a lay Miz. Everybody has yeah a King's speech that we've we'll, got to like we'll get through and act team. like yeah. Um, an Osage August County, uh, yeah, an August Osage County, uh, August Osage yeah. County, yeah, exactly. Somebody should do a Tumblr for that movie. You know how they have like kill counts in there, there's like a kill count Tumblr for like Schwarzenegger or Stallone movies and things like that. There should be a, a like broken dish count. Oh, that would be for good. August yeah. Osage County, or bro- just broken stuff. Yeah, count. just broken, yeah. Just broken stuff, broken, broken, broken wills. Yeah, <laughs> broken personalities. Yep. Obviously, I'm avoiding this this uh, review. Yeah, please tell me completely. everything about it. So third person. Mm-hmm. I think they are billing it as a romantic thriller. <laughs> I think I think classifying this thing as as a genre of any type other uh-huh. than boring and tedious, um, I think that is what it is. Um, so third person, the cast. Let's just go through the cast. Okay. It's a let's huge do it. ensemble cast. 
because it basically focuses on three parallel stories. From what little I know of Crash, that should not come as a massive surprise with Paul Haggis. I don't think he knows how to tell one story well, and so instead he tries to tell three uh, to sort of gloss over the fact that none of them are very good. Um, So the cast, Liam Neeson Mm -hmm. plays a writer, and it's a writer who who basically is largely unemotional. Mm -hmm. And so Liam Neeson. Yeah. The way, the way he can feel is kind of through exploration of his characters. All right. So original. Yeah. So we're starting to, you know, that should be a glimpse into the third person. (laughs) Um, and so, so Liam Neeson, his estranged wife is played by Kim Basinger. Mm -hmm. Uh, his lover is played by Olivia Wilde. Uh, then there is another story that is between Mila Kunis and mm-hmm. James Franco. They're a divorced couple who has a child. There are claims that she attempted to injure or, in fact, kill their child together, and okay. so she. But she claims that it is it is a fabrication that it was it, everything was an accident that. Um, you know, the child put that dryer bag over his own head. Uh, um, and on, so James kid. Franco is trying to keep their child away from her. And she is sort of a down on her luck, uh, single woman, like lost all of her money because she was trying to defend herself and paying lawyers and stuff uh, like that. Yeah. So she basically is just going from job to job and trying to fight this big, well-known artist, James Franco. Um. So, so does he play himself? Does James Franco play himself? No, no, no. He plays a painter. Oh, um, who paints with his hands? Um. Right. So anyway, not too far fetched. Not too. <clears throat> then the third story is uh is about Adrian Brody's character. So Adrian Adrian Brody meets this Adrian Brody's character meets this sort of beautiful exotic Italian gypsy. What? And he is he is basically a corporate spy who steals designer uh, designer um, fashions before they come out, before they hit the runway to produce knockoffs, to basically have knockoffs ready as soon as the runway show hits. Gotcha. Um, so he's kind of this somewhat morally ambiguous character. Meets this sort of beautiful Italian gypsy woman, mm-hmm. and uh, she leaves her purse in the bar that they're they're hanging out at, and in her purse is five thousand dollars in an envelope. What exactly? It's a mystery. I know, and it turns out that Mm -hmm. some very terrible men Mm -hmm. have her daughter and they're basically she has asked them to kind of get get her daughter from wherever her daughter was they did this but now they're holding her daughter basically Uh, ransom for cash okay and adrian brody is enlisted by this beautiful gypsy woman uh to kind of help her get this get her daughter back Okay, hang on. If she was dealing with something as traumatic as a child kidnapping and she had the ransom money, how does one forget the ransom money at a bar? 
that is a really great question and is borne out in the story. So why would you think that would happen? Because there wasn't any risk and it was all a plant so that he would get involved in something. Yeah, Adrian Brody is a mark. Yeah, Of course. Exactly. So, and and this kind of bears out over Fool me once, Rome. Nice try. You're, you're, You're kind of getting to what the problem with all of this story is. Yep. And that is, there's nothing particularly suspenseful where there should be suspense. Yeah. Wait, who's Maria Bello in this whole thing? She's in this thing. uh, Maria Bello is, which... uh, Teresa? In what? In in third person, she's in it. Oh, uh, she plays uh, Mila Kunis' lawyer. Oh, Sorry. No, that's okay. I was just wondering. Does she get naked because it's in her... her, uh, contract that she has to get naked in every movie she's in uh she does not what now she is in a swim she is in a swimsuit okay well so there's still there's still unnecessary of, still gratuitous there, there, there's a there's a level of have you ever nudity. did i had to review it but have you ever seen the the ben affleck i love the starting sentences with that because i know the answer is no have you ever seen the ben affleck i got laid off from my really nice job movie called um company men no He's in it, and he's a company man that gets laid off, and, and Maria Bello is one of, like, the other workers that get, gets laid off. And there's and just so a, they get laid off No, there's together. just a random nude scene with her, like, for no reason. It's, it's, it, is she it, dancing and vacuuming? That'd be hilarious. No, it, <laughs> it's just kind of tucked into the third reel for some reason, but it's just, it's just there. Yeah. And you're like, why are you? Whatever. It'd be awesome if, like, she always demands that her agent force that into her contract. Yeah. Like if she was just like, well, I, you know, I like the script a lot. I really like but the I'm character. But I'm not naked But enough. I don't get naked. Yeah. So you need to make sure that they understand that at some point this character is getting Well, that's kind of what I thought was the deal after <laughs> seeing Company Men. I was like, there is no reason for this. Yeah, there's no this, reason. This for otherwise PG-13 movie. There's no reason for this. Yeah, I mean, there's a little partial. Olivia Wilde does get naked um, because she's a writer's lover. So, right, you naturally. Know, of course, of course. Um, and actually, I will say that of the characters, she she could be my favorite because she is almost a sort of Mike Nichols level of vicious. Oh, okay. In this, in this, um, the problem is, is the motivation for her viciousness is so trite, yeah, and so apparent. Like as soon as you find out she has another lover, at the point and the way you find this out. It's just like, oh, I know it's going to be this. Yeah. And it is. And yeah, that it's sounds just, like a haggis script. Yeah. And so so it's just, it's totally heavy handed. It's completely overt. Um, the characters seem to be mean to each other mm-hmm. um, and have a level of sort of genuine spitefulness. And they switch back and forth from being almost totally naive yeah. to completely vindictive and vicious and totally world weary. Yep. Um, so, so I feel like there's just a, a randomness to the characters and mm-hmm. the character motivation. Mm-hmm. It, it also has a level of sentimentality. Mm, I mean, man. so it, it, in that you were just hitting like all of the check boxes for a Paul Haggis movie. Yeah. Like, like if you hadn't said that this was about third person, you could have just applied everything you just said to crash or in the Valley of Ella. Like, yeah, it's, it's eerie how similar, like, anyway, continue. Yeah. But you're you're right on with his his previous work. So it's good to know that he's uh, consistently 
over, awful, overwrought yeah, and, and awful director. Yeah. Um, so the final bit, the, like the thing that really just killed it. One, it feels really long. It's 137 minutes long. Yeah. And it felt every bit of that. Um, I, I felt like I went to see this movie. I think it was like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Right. And I thought I was walking out at 8 p.m. Yeah. I was just like, I said, man. <laughs> that was going to be dark out. Man, my entire day is just gone. Yeah. Like, it's gone. I need to go to bed. Um, <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> yeah. My life is over. Blew my whole day. Yeah. My life is over. <laughs> this two-hour movie took 12 hours to watch. Right. So, so anyway, you know, but they're, they're, it, it, feel, it feels, that's also every, how crash feels, by the way, crash yeah. feels like it's eight hours long. Yeah. It feels every bit of that 137 minutes. It look, it, 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 it is all of it. But then the other thing is, is that the, the stories don't weave together in a compelling way. They weave together in a like, really, yeah. we're going to do that. Let uh, me, let me guess. Olivia Wilde was sleeping with another member of the big cast. Is that uh, she? No, no, no. Oh, that would no, be too it doesn't, convenient. Yeah, it doesn't tie into any of the other stories that way. That would be actual no, interesting it's, storytelling. It's, it's far worse, and once you get to the end of it, it's like so lame. Is it Jason Sudeikis? <laughs> no, no. Right. I'll tell you off. I, I I'll tell that. you off. I'm the, just messing around off, at off the point. air because it's like it's not worth. Like if you love. Crash. Mm-hmm. If you love In the Valley of the, of Ella, mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to hit the same high points. At least so, sounds like it. So, so what, go see this. Yeah. What but What is the sort of? You shouldn't over... like either of those films. It sounds like you definitely shouldn't like this one. The problem with it is that this this film really is more an idea than it is a structured film. Right. Like, what what is the overarching theme of this one? So, like, you know, Crash, the idea is that, you know, every everything's connected. Everything is interconnected um, in the strangest ways. This um, isn't that. This isn't yeah. that. This one is much more... But not in, like, an interesting Magnolia-type way. Everything's connected and everybody's racist. Like, that's kind of... Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not this. This is much more of the things we do mm-hmm. within relationships with each other to feel. And and these are things that are both positive and negative, mainly negative. Almost everybody across the board. I would say the Adrian Brody character is the only one that basically uh, does anything kind of outside of themselves. The right. Teresa character, the, the uh, Maria Bello, Bello character sort of is like that but she's she's very much kind of a tough love character okay um working with her client uh who is played by mila kunis um but but like all of them are mean but all of them you can tell do what they do in the attempt to kind of like feel something and you're always you're always a little ambivalent about their motivation. Uh, like why they're doing something. Right. So it's, sometimes it's because of the manipulation that other characters have on them. Sometimes it's what they think they are capable of. Sometimes it's just to feel. Like there are characters who are just mean to each other because that's the like that's the only emotion they know how to get to quickly. So so yeah, I, I found this a tiresome, almost entirely unwatchable film. 
And I would say 20 or 30 minutes in, I was like stand like I, I sat in the back row and I was like standing up and stretching. Yeah. Because it's like you're doing calisthenics. Yeah, I needed to feel something other than this film. I so, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, I I would give this. Geez, I wish we had a solid rock fist down because it's like it's almost not even deserving of a way down. Yeah. So you know I'm gonna go with a, a minor rock fist down. Yeah. Because really, this film should be ignored. Yeah. More than hated. Okay. Yeah. I think it mostly has been ignored at this point. I didn't even know it existed until. Yeah, I mean, it had it. limited release in uh, yeah. June twentieth, and it's going to get a wider release uh, coming up this weekend. So yeah. July tenth, eleventh, yeah, July eleventh, yeah, July eleventh, Friday, yeah. yeah. So, which is when we were recording this? Yeah, because right, exactly now it, it's all live. July eleventh, eight thirty in the morning. <laughs> well, you know, something else that comes out on July eleventh is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, my oh, movie, and I've got a theory. Okay. So okay, before so, we yeah. go, you haven't seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes. You definitely haven't seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Have you seen any of the Heston? Oh yeah, yeah. That original series. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, I haven't. I I watched. Uh, I've seen a little bit of the first Heston movie, and that's it. I know. Yeah. See, you I know, love you... the first one. The other ones have <laughs> have levels of appeal. Yeah. But are are bad. I was caught up on a lot of the lore of the other four. Uh, yesterday, um, by someone who had seen them all and, gotcha. and loves them very much. Um, who is that? Why are you not talking? Oh, because them? she might be listening. Um, Megan. Megan. Oh, actually. really? Yeah, Megan loves them. Nice. And so she was telling me about them. Um, apparently, Caesar is actually a character in the other movies, but I didn't know that. So yeah. good to know. Anyhow, all right. Theory so time. Here's my theory. All right. This is total speculation. It's all a dream. And it's, it's, no, that's third person. Um, so this is total speculation. Okay. And it really is just based on the half of a trailer I saw. Because mm-hmm. I haven't even watched the trailers. I really just don't care about these films. I'm not interested in them, in seeing them at all. Okay. But here's the thing. So I am wondering if this is basically an object lesson in why negotiation on some level with questionable organizations may be interesting or ethically valid. So, like, there's all of these concerns with, with negotiating about the ta- with the Taliban right now. Right. And we don't do it because blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Even though we did. Even yeah. though we did. Yeah. Right. And so... so here is an organization that, you know, was an established power, wasn't an established power, funded insurgent groups, now is a a definite, you know, player within the political system. Sure. And we're just, you know, it's like we shouldn't take a, a simple, binding, unilateral approach to that group because doing so could force us to suffer even worse consequences that's my theory okay so this is an this is something of a loose allegory a loose allegory about the hazards of negotiating wholesale with terrorists yes or or not or not yes or not like basically saying it's all or nothing okay 
Uh, that that's a really interesting theory. I don't like thinking back about the plot and trying to apply that construction to it. It doesn't that, really that construct. Out. It doesn't really work. W- would um, my would my movie be better? No, actually, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is great. Okay. Uh, surprisingly so. I mean, I I saw Rise when it came to uh, HBO on demand. Maybe um, I know I didn't pay for it, um, so I'm sure I waited for HBO Go because I don't download things illegally. It's, um, don't do that. If you're listening, don't do that. Seriously. No, I'm I'm dead serious. Don't do that. <laughs> like one one takedown notice is terrifying. Multiple, horrible. Uh, so don't do it. The more you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I I um, I really I was interested in Rise when I first saw the trailers for it. I was like, oh, I don't know, this doesn't really seem you know a retro kind of prequel thing where they could either acknowledge the you know history of the past movies or kind of branch off and do their own thing. I'm not really sure. And then I watched it and it's actually, you know, it's it's not great, but it's good. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Rise. Rise, Rise of the Planet of yeah. the Apes. The first one. It's good. Um, it's not great. You know, it's it's got some interesting moments. Um, the performance capture, capture is phenomenal and they really do an, a great job of creating a, like, believable three-dimensional character out of the the that ape Caesar Caesar is really the star of the first one, yeah. and Caesar is more or less. And the is star. he played by James Franco? No, Andy Circus. Oh no, but uh, like, who does the voice of him? Is it Circus. still Andy Circus? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's, was James it's, Franco in the first? He's one? in the first one. So the way the James just like Franco. you're really into the James Franco bit. Yes, he yeah. is. He's this scientist in the first one who's trying to come up with uh, treatment for Alzheimer's, and you find out it's because he has a father who's in the late stages, played by John Lithgow. Okay. And um, they, at the company he works for, they kind of shut down future um, exploration with this drug. Well, he he has some of it. He has a he takes this small chimp home, um, Caesar, and tries it on him, and then proceeds to like try and teach Caesar how to how to do things. And so Caesar, it it doesn't quite work the way that he thought it would. It doesn't, it, it doesn't restore brain capacity. It enhances it. And so Caesar becomes hyper intelligent and can right. learn things rather quickly. So he learns how to sign. Um, he learns how to kind of, he, he becomes very emotionally intuitive too. It develops him in more than just one way. And while he doesn't instantly turn him into one of the apes that you're familiar with in planet of the apes where they're just, you know, grown, you know, monkey people that can talk and do everything else that right. people do. Um, it puts him on that path. Right. There's a very interesting angle about animal testing and um, sort of the the cruelty and the banality of that, and then also um, the the cruel and, and kind of cold world of any kind of animal in captivity. So it, it gets into zoos and things like that as well. And, sure. And you know it it, it has some interesting moments. Um, I, there's a really great moment with Caesar um, that I, that where he kind of becomes a leader in the first movie. Um, and that's... Does Caesar re- release Tilikum? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he goes to SeaWorld and he lets Tilikum out. <clears throat> that's that's going to be in the third one. There right. that, the, the, this one, I don't want to give yeah. away, but you've already touched on it. This one ends with Caesar 
gathering a troop of people of, of apes together and they're on their way to sea world and they're going to let Tilla come out and everybody yeah. else out. Yeah. yeah. And then they ride, ride the orcas like sand, they're going to ride dolphins worms. and, and yeah. orcas into yeah. battle yeah. And, and everything. So. Well, so, so the other thing that happens in rise that's important is that, um, one of the workers at that laboratory is exposed to a, a viral agent. Um, so it's not on purpose, it's an accident, but he's exposed and doesn't realize it and becomes sick. And it ends up being a big part of this film. I mean, you knew where it was going. And I guess, I, like I said, I'm not versed with the lore of the whole, the larger Planet of the Apes universe, but I guess a lot of, um, you kind of find out how humankind was reduced or, or wiped out. And it was sort of a super virus that, sure. that did a lot of it. And so this is also the kind of birth of that super virus. So yeah. In in Rise, this guy gets sick, and then he, you know, it cuts back several different times to other people getting sick. Well, the whole beginning of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, it takes place 10 years after the events of, of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, people have gotten sick. Um, humanity has been reduced to a few little enclaves of people in different parts of the world, and they're kind of cut off from each other. It's very much survive or, or die, yeah. you know. Um, and this film again, wisely devotes a lot of its time on Caesar and the world that he's built and the life that he's made for himself and the other animals that he's freed. Um, when he frees the other apes, just so that it makes sense, um, since you haven't seen either of them in rise, when he frees them, he also releases the same chemical agent. So he, he, empowers them with hyper intelligence at the gotcha. same time as he lets them go. So they all become more sentient and able to communicate in new ways and they more emotionally does developed. Does this alter their genetic code? Uh I don't I I guess it does in the long term because yeah, in in this one Caesar has two children and one is old enough to go with him on his kind of crusade and he communicates in sign and and can you know speak and everything else. So he's he's born that way. So yeah. I, I, it must it does alternate. Either that <clears> or does. they're fans of Lamarckian genetics. Or yeah, yeah. So, so it does. I, I believe it does. You know, permanently alternate their genetic code and let them pass that down. So anyway, we're basically the film is is divided into two families. So you have Caesar and his family, and he has. Um, he has made a home in the woods in uh, Northern California. Mm-hmm. He has a huge tribe. Never really says how many, but it's in the hundreds of of apes. You know, chimpanzees, gorillas, bonobos, <coughs> orangutans. Um, all all living together, hunting together. There's this really breathtaking hunting scene at the very beginning of the film. Um, and he's a leader and he's a reluctant one, but he, he's a leader and he makes tough decisions and he, um, he makes mistakes mm-hmm. and he, he, he screws up and he has to face the consequences. It's, it's a really, for a movie where most of the characters in it are computer generated or performance capture this movie does a better job of characterization than any other movie I've seen this summer. Huh. All of the, all of the sort of villains are painted in shades of gray. There's a human sort of villain played by Gary Oldman. 
and he's given a moment where you see everything that he's lost and you see what the the fall has done to him and who it's taken from him and, and the toll it's taken on him and you feel for him sure it's it's a it's an emotional moment there's an ape that sort of serves as the the movie's big bad named Koba and Koba was a victim of animal testing and he's got scars and he can't see out of one of his eyes mm-hmm. and he you you understand why he fears and hates humans the way that he does right so there there are these characters that you you understand there's one guy that kind of plays sort of a <clears throat> a heavy just for the sake of being a heavy but then there's a scene where he you understand why he's so instantly afraid of them and and therefore aggressive towards apes and he's like you know look at who we've lost he says you know you had a daughter and you had a wife and what happened to them and i'm the asshole yeah. for treating these guys like the enemies that they are they took everything from us yeah so it's a that's one of the most fascinating things about the film is that even though there are clear, you know, heroes and villains, when you just stack up who you're supposed to root for and who you're not, at the same time, all the actions are sort of understandable and justified. They go to extreme lengths at times in the case of certain characters, but overall you're like, I, you know, I understand why this person or this ape would do this thing. Yeah, I may not make that choice, but right. I get why this character is. One thing I love about the film is the dialogue, especially with the apes, um, because they either sign and they subtitle it, which is really interesting, because they can communicate without speaking, and that's that's really fascinating, because when they hunt, they sign to each other, and... Mm-hmm. And they've they have like the very inkling the first inklings of a culture like the the apes that are almost like midwives that take care of um, other apes that are having babies have wear these weird like headdresses and some of the women wear these these sort of flower things in their hair and you hmm. can argue that some of it's just to make them easily distinguishable between each other but at the same time they have the very beginning of these cultures right and that's that's a fascinating thing to look at um, the other thing is that when they do you know it's not a spoiler at this point. <clears throat> when they do speak, it's very. It Did is. They a, not speak at all in the first one. There's one moment where okay. it happens. Gotcha. And it's a huge turning point in the film. It's a big. It's a big deal. Okay. When it happens, and in this, it's way more prevalent and not isolated to a single ape that does it. But the economy of the language is is oddly compelling. Right. There's um, there's a moment where Koba expresses his concern and his anger to Caesar about how Caesar's working with men. Because um, the, the whole gist is there's this second family, um, and the, the father in that family is played by Jason Clark from Zero Dark Thirty. Does, does Caesar have a half-human family? Yeah, that'd be great. He has a secret <laughs> family. <laughs> no, uh, fell in love with a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Clark is he's one of the survivors in this colony that's that's in San Francisco and he's kind of got this makeshift family his son is played by Cody Smith McPhee and his not really wife but the the woman that he's with now is played by Carrie Russell and they are tasked with Carrie Russell? Carrie Russell from Felicity? Yeah. Yeah. Is in this? Yeah, from the Americans. That Great TV so show. Weird. Oh, she's she's fantastic. Okay, you got to watch the Americans at some point. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Um, I mean, I'm not a Carrie <clears throat> Russell hater. It's just thinking of her in in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes just makes me giggle. Yeah, 
Well, she's here, and she um, she has she's she's a um, former CDC when the CDC existed. She worked for them, so she's got medical knowledge. Um, Jason Clark has military background. Cody Smith McPhee is kind of a weird kid that doodles. Um, <laughs> but they're they're so they've, tasked, got all their bases <clears throat> they've got all their bases covered. There's a few other guys that run in their group, right. but none of them really matter. Yeah, their real focus is on those three and their sort of family um, structure. And then as a parallel to Caesar's, because Caesar has you know, for lack of a better word, a wife and two kids as well. Right. And so the humans are trying to restore power to this hydroelectric dam so that they can send power to the colony because they're running out of fuel and they need to figure something out or it's going to get bad. The the hydroelectric generator is at the mouth of this waterfall and at the base of the waterfall is the colony that, um, or the, the sort of kingdom that Caesar and his apes have built right. for themselves. <clears throat> they have to go through ape country to get to it. Right. Um, Caesar reluctantly lets them work with them to make that happen. Koba doesn't like this, and so there's this great scene where they're signing to each other, and 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 Caesar says they're they're doing man's work. They they don't want anything to do with us. They're doing man's work, and Koba begins to point at the scars on his body and say man's work. Yeah, man's work, and and. There are several moments like that where the sort of economy of language between the the ape characters, because they don't speak very well, they speak in small broken sentences, is very compelling. There's a moment early on where they come into the colony and show their numbers mm-hmm. and let mankind know that we're a force, we don't want anything to do with you guys, but this is how many of us there are. So as and long as they stay separate, is there conflict? No. Okay. That's the whole thing, is that the, the the film really goes into trying to keep those lines separate and how they, they go to do that. And then what ends up happening that slingshots them into action is, is pretty uh, pretty drastic. Yeah. Um, and there's fault on both sides, but yeah. you know, ultimately it ends up landing more on one side than the other. Sure. Um, it's a, it's like I said, it's a, it's a solid movie. It looks great, first of all. Visually, it's fantastic. And then all of the apes and the characters, I mean, talk about a shoe-in for a best special effects Oscar. Like, yeah. this is at least a shoe-in for a nomination. It should probably win, but I'm sure, you know, Interstellar is going to get in there and maybe, you know, who knows what else. But Right, because who <clears> knows who no one's blowing. Yeah, so. but it's in terms of performance capture and the ability to make these creatures look unique and individual and like actual believable characters i i don't know how they did it there are moments in that movie where it feels like i mean that it's a monkey yeah (laughs) (laughs) that it feels like a monkey's talking to you and you're not like that's unbelievable you know it's a really phenomenal um thing to see it's you know we got to see it in 3d the 3d is actually really good it's not overly invasive but at the same time it's present and they use it a lot to create depth in in frames instead of trying to make things come out at you instead they create depth within the frame and that's well done and interesting it's never used for gimmicks there's never like some something jumping at the screen or being thrown at the screen is it worth it though like if you see it in 2d are you going to be disappointed i don't know if you'll be disappointed you will know a difference okay i think it's more immersive for sure okay um I, so if you're into 3D, absolutely see this. If you're into 3D, absolutely. If you're if you're even thinking about maybe, I would recommend seeing it in 3D. Um, 
it's one of the few times I can think that I've recommended 3D. It's it's pretty it's pretty quick in terms of I mean it's economy of story is 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 pretty grounded. It's just ten minutes over two hours, so it's shorter than your your Paul Haggis movie by about seven minutes. Yeah, and, and definitely, and probably feels three hours shorter. Yeah, and and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of characterization. There's a lot of weight. The story actually feels urgent and. Um, I'm sure, you know, if I watch it again or if I think about it long enough, I can poke holes in the plot or figure out some things I don't like. But right now, it's, it feels really really tight, really well done. There's not a performance that I that I really had a big issue with. Cody Smith-McPhee is probably the weakest link out of everything, and he's... He's a child. He's a child, and he's not a big enough, he's not a big enough part of it to sort of ruin, right. the, ruin the enjoyment of the film. Um, <clears throat> there is a choice a character makes at the end that bothers me. Um, mostly because of what it represents, but in all, it's a really fascinating, um, well-made movie about leadership and what that means and what it takes to be a leader and tucked into a big summer blockbuster. And also the final set piece, the big sort of last thing that happens is one of the more satisfying climaxes of the summer I've seen the only other one I can think of that made me just as like involved or and excited was um Winter Soldier Captain America 2 Winter Soldier gotcha so it's it's a solid it's a solid movie Weta did a great job I mean they're they're world class for a reason but Jesus like I really had no idea that that it was capable of that um, solid rock fist up, big time. Yeah, solid rock fist up. Not all the way up because there are just a few character choices and a couple of weird things that I'm not a hundred percent in. And also, you know, it's just it just didn't it doesn't grab you the way there there's that sort of intangible thing that that the way up movies do, and this doesn't sure, do that. Sure. You know, it's very competent. Matt Reeves is a very good director. That's what I can say after watching this and after watching Cloverfield and some of his other did stuff. Did he do like, Rise also? Who did Rise? I think he did, but I don't want to say yeah. that if I'm not yeah. sure. But um, <clears throat> he definitely he definitely did a great job with this, and I've been um, impressed with him as in his directing efforts for a while now. I really loved Let Me In, and uh, he didn't do Rise, actually. Yeah. Um, I I really loved him and let me, loved his work on Let Me In. I think that movie gets a bad rap because everybody loves Let the Right One In for no goddamn reason. And um, you don't like Let Let the Right One In? Not as much as Let Me In. Man, I, think. I I love Let the Right One In, and I and the way I talk about Let Me In, yeah. I think I think Let Me In is a competent remake, and yeah. I think it's good. I I think it's very good. Uh, but the way I describe it is, if you can't do subtitles. Yeah. Then see Let Me In. It is a perfectly acceptable alternative because yeah. I think both of those films kind of run yeah. neck and neck with each other. Um, I do think the car wreck in Let Me In that's phenomenal is amazing. He does something kind of similar in this one. It's yeah. not a car wreck, but he does just kind of stick the camera on something, and you see a long take with just the camera kind of bolted into one place. Yeah, and it's 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 well done. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think Let the Right One In is, is amazing. And one of the things that I think makes, gives Let the Right One In is, is, uh, their ability to explore the sort of preteen sexuality. Yeah. The burgeoning preteen sexuality that has to be almost entirely omitted from, from the American version. I can see that. What I like so much about Let Me In is I, I love how 
contextually deep it is. I like all the little touches sure. of the era and, and the time. It's a very intimate movie in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what I like a lot, that it's, it feels very much of that era without, you know, oh, hey, look at that crazy haircut. Oh, hey, remember this song on the right. radio? Right. You know, the it, it feels way more true to that time than if it had, you know, chalked itself full of sure. dated references. Sure. Um, and also, yeah, the the car chase or the car wreck is incredible. And there are a couple other shots that still blow my mind. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I liked Cloverfield a lot. Let me in. And now Dawn on the Planet of the Apes. I think he did a great job with this. I can't predict how well this will do at the box office. Um, I hope well. I hope it knocks Transformers off its shitty, shitty pedestal. pedestal. Yeah, <laughs> but that's it. So yeah, it's definitely a solid rock fist up. Um, I'm seeing Sex Tape next week. Nice. What are you? You don't have anything next week, or I what do you have? Oh, what are you seeing? I'm seeing Venus in Furs. Oh, which one is that? That is Roman Polanski's new. Oh film. God. So. Well, I, yeah, I, I, my interest is peaked. Uh, Roman Polanski's last film was the God, what was the name of it? The apartment one. Oh, uh, I know which one you're talking about were, with with John C. Riley and yeah, and, um, Christoph, uh, Christoph Waltz. Waltz. Yep. Yeah. yeah damn it. Uh, and it just it it felt like stifled and weird. Yeah. It was just very strange. Um, uh, I did not like it at all. So, but I'm always interested to kind of see what Roman Polanski is up to. See, he's one that like I just pretend he died after Chinatown. I yeah. pretend that Chinatown came uh, out and he and just that's, died. That's not a that's not a terrible. It's it's like way. pretending that the Rolling Stones died right after. Yeah. Um, you aren't a huge Ninth Gate fan. Yeah. <laughs> after <laughs> after Exile and Main Street, a lot of people don't know this, but the Rolling Stones died. Yeah. Most most people don't know that. They think that he's that. That they're still going. You didn't but, go and see them on your their Steel Wheels tour. Oh uh, no, they were long dead. They've been they've been <laughs> they've dead. Been dead they've been years. dead for twenty years at that point, I think. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's uh, it's gonna be. It's basically, I was telling somebody, I probably shouldn't have this many, or I probably shouldn't have this much like, um, prejudicial expectation or excitement, anticipation, I guess, for a movie that that I haven't seen yet, but um. Right now, it's just a countdown to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. That's all I can do is just yeah. get to Guardians and hope that it's great. Like that's yeah. that's it. So, um, it's that and Inherent Vice. That and Inherent Vice, and um, which may premiere at the New York Film Festival. Yeah, just it, came just just came out on cigarettes and red vines. Oh, that'd be great. So that they may premiere it uh, in late September, early October at the New York Film Festival. Oh so, man, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we've got for this week. So we'll go and uh, don't see third person. Don't see third person. Do see. Do see Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, you know, you have Steve to have. Steve Ducey. You have plan. to have. <laughs> Steve <laughs> Ducey <laughs> recommends. Steve Ducey Dawn. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, he's a alum of the same college I went to. That kind of bums yeah. me out. And and uh, next week we may have a new contributor. We won't, we won't reveal anything yet. We're going to trot much. him out. Yeah, but we He's may. ready for the big time. He is. So. All right. Anyway. All right. We'll, All right. we'll go well. for it. All right. We'll see you later. Have a good weekend. Adios.